Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Jeff Hardy and I'm filling in for Kyle Case who's out of the office. In fact, he's out of the state. In fact, he's out of the country. Joining me in studio today is my co-pilot, Michelle Graves. How are you, Michelle? Great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Glad. Well, I'm glad that you can always be here to fill in when... Um, Whenever Kyle's gone and I have to fill in for him. So. I'm the backup to the backup. Happy to be it. And I'm just the backup to the... Something. I'm just the backup. Oh, something like that. Okay. <laughs> so, Michelle, I'm sure you know, but May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's been observed in the United States since 1949. So I thought it'd be interesting to look at five my- myths and facts about mental health for our from mentalhealth.gov. Okay, let's do it. All right. So the first myth is mental health problems don't affect me. The truth is, mental health problems are actually very common. In 2014, about one in five American adults experienced a mental health issue. One in 10 young people experienced a, a, period, a, a period of major depression. And one in 25 Americans lived with a serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or major depression. I think this next myth is interesting. It's that children don't experience mental health problems. And I think we're learning that. That's- oh, yeah. We, we're seeing signs of mental health younger and younger, and, and this um, myth is debunked by the fact that even though very young children may show early warning signs of mental, um, they may show early signs of mental health concerns, mental health problems are often clinically diagnosable and can be a product of the interaction of biological, physiological, and social factors. Half of all mental health disorders show first signs before a person turns 14. That's interesting. It is. And three quarters of mental health disorders begin before the age of 24. So if we're aware about, of it, then maybe we can yeah. uh, do something about it. I had a friend who had serious mental health problems of starting in his early 20s. But as I thought back on our relationship as a kid growing up, I could see the early warning signs of it that I didn't recognize until after the fact. Right, right. Fascinating. Yep. The next myth is that People with mental health problems are violent and unpredictable. The truth is the vast majority of people with mental health problems are no more likely to be violent than anyone else. Most people with mental, with mental illness are not violent. Only about 3 to 5% of violent acts can be attributed to individuals living with a mental, serious mental illness. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Good to know. We often think of um, homeless people with the um, propensity for violence, but truth is most of them are not. Most of them are just suffering from some sort of mental illness. Right, and, and, and pop culture has really made it look like all the violence is done by mentally ill people, people with mental illness issues. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, the next one is personality weakness or character flaws can cause mental health problems. People with mental health problems can snap out of it if they try hard enough. Just like magic. <laughs> I think we know that one's not true. In fact, mental health problems have nothing to do with being lazy or weak, and many people need help to get better. Many factors contribute to mental health problems, including biological factors such as genes, physical illness, injury, or brain chemistry, life experiences such as trauma or a history of abuse, and a family history of medical health problems. And the last myth that we have today is there is no hope for people with mental illness or mental health problems. Once a friend or a family member develops mental health problems, he or she will never recover. And thank goodness that is not true. I mean, how many of us have experienced something that we've needed some help with? So studies show that people with mental health problems can get better and many recover completely. Recovery refers to the process in which people are able to live, work, learn, and participate fully in their communities. These are more treatments. There are more treatment services and community support systems than ever before. And they work. 
And I think that this is a great thing to talk about because we talk about health so much, but we don't often on our active life show cover the aspects of mental health. And so I'm glad that it's brought to the surface in May as Mental Health Awareness Month and, mm-hmm. and that we can talk about this very um, important component of living a full, healthy, active life. You know, and it's ironic that it's been observed since 1949, yet still Today, there's there's some astigmatism attached to uh, mental health issues. Well, I think we're all ashamed to um, talk about the problems that, you know, face us. And... Because a lot of people believe the myths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Well, we just happened to have somebody joining us in the studio, Mike Hench, who might be an, an expert on the subject. Mike received a BS in family and human development from Brigham Young University, a master's degree from in marriage and family therapy from the University of Kentucky, and an MBA degree from Univers- Arizona State University. Mike has been a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Utah since 2004. And Mike, how many years have you spent actually doing marriage and family therapy? Oh, that's interesting. Um, and welcome. Oh, yes, welcome, <laughs> yes. Mike. Sorry. Good to be here. Thanks. Um, I, I've been practicing um, since uh, 2000 when I was in grad school. Although, as far as marriage counseling goes, I, um, I would be terrible at it, honestly. <laughs> right now, <laughs> I haven't done marriage counseling in like years. Uh-huh. Um, actually, my, my specialty is uh, treating young adults, so about the 18 to 24-year-old population. I um, do a lot of work with, with them um, with dual diagnosis, those that suffer from um, social anxiety and, and autism, and they're just kind of struggling to launch from their, you know, Get out from under the parents' wings. Really, anything that a parent might consider high risk, or um, you know, some sort of aversion to being able to function well in society, they kind of come to you for assistance. Would you say? Correct. Yep. Said it well. So, what did you think about our, our myths and facts? Did you find them to be pretty right on, or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I Man, I I think that there is. Um, definitely stigma associated with mental health still, particularly with men. Um, you know, if you look at just those that pursue and, and looking for help, um, just in psychotherapy in general, like women outnumber men considerably in that mm-hmm. area. So, and I think I said a stigmatism, which is a problem with the eye instead of a stigma attached to it. So I did, I do know the difference between the two. <laughs> just want to point that out. Good to clear, good to clear yes. that up, Jeff. So do you see that changing at all? Because I feel like, um, there's just a big push um, to just uh, be more present in our being and to be more open um, than even, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So what changes do you see? You still see a big shift between men and women seeking help, um, but is it changing? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the pendulum in some ways has swung to the other end of things. It's, I just actually um, came out of a, a group here this morning with a group of young adult men. And we were talking about um, just the, the way that culture and society influences um, men's ability in particular to like process and talk about and deal with their emotions. And I think uh, if you look back at more, and especially my generation and those before, like mm-hmm. that was oftentimes seen as, a, as an area of, you know, you're seen as weak. Right. You know, men don't show emotion. Um, but my young men today were really talking about them feeling like there's more they're more comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. i think there's some other issues definitely that are are making things more challenging for them in other ways but there i think there is generally a little more more openness to be able to be more free to 
you know, talk about how they're feeling and things without that. You know, I remember when I was a young man, there was a, a man selected to run as a vice president named Robert Eagleton. And I remember seeing the pictures of him with the presidential candidate, their grasping hands. A few days later, it came out that he'd had some counseling done and immediately ruined his political career. He, he, he stepped down as a vice presidential candidate. He resigned from the, the Senate. It just ruined his political career because he had to have some help. But we all need help. I mean, it's just crazy to me that that, that would happen to somebody like that that sought help. Yeah, and I, I think you have to look at – there's like when, you, when we're talking about mental health issues, like there's a broad spectrum. I mean – of course, on the more significant or severe, and we're like, you know, conduct disorder and schizophrenia and, you mm-hmm. know, some bipolar disorder, some of the more common ones that um, are, can be more challenging to, to treat and deal with. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of my clients sometimes are dealing with like issues related to like executive functioning and ADHD, like they have trouble um, with time management and, um, and just being able to um, do some, take care of some of the daily tasks that just come easier for those that are uh, neurotypical. So it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a range there. I like that term you just used, neurotypical. That was pretty cool. I like that. Is there, I mean, is there any research that explains kind of why the problems that, because you've been a therapist for like two decades now. So um, you've seen changes and trends just over the time that you've been working in do you see a lot more of this kind of attention deficit as opposed to big mental illness problems? And, and what are the trends, I guess? And, and, and what are you seeing? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, over the de- couple, last couple of decades, there's definitely been trends. I think there was a big push, you know, like in the early 90s, early 2000s around ADHD and, you know, Ritalin and medication. And and then I think I saw like um, more more of a trend around like bipolar disorder and that being more, um, I think some of it is people being more educated. Um, but I think that the big thing now, I think that we're hearing a lot in, 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 uh, the mental health world is autism spectrum disorders and the, and how prevalent they, they are. I don't have the statistics on me right now, but the, I mean, the data is, is, is demonstrated that, that, um, those numbers are increasing and that some of that again may just be people being more educated and being able to diagnose that at an earlier an earlier age and treat it, but that's kind of the definitely a um, the trends trending. that you see. And do you think that's because we used to just look at mental health from a macro view, you know, and there was just like the major things, and now we see it much more from a micro view, where um, we know what autism is, we know that there's a spectrum of disorders, so it kind of breaks it down more. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We're visiting with Mike Hench, who's a medical a mental health professional, and he mostly works with young adults. But uh, I'm sure whatever he shows with us will apply to anybody across the board. And, and one of the reasons that we're doing this is that mental health affects the physical health. I mean, everything's interrelated, and physical health can affect the mental health. So, so And there's some environmental things that can affect mental health. What what are you, are you seeing anything with the iPhones or the the smartphones and the computers stuff like that? that the kids are spending is that affecting the mental health? Yeah, most definitely. I, I would say I would add to that list too. Um, I think food, food, I think is a, oh, has, has a big factor on um, our not only physical health but our mental health too. And just the I think we're learning more about the sugar and processed foods that are out there and the impact that like a healthier diet can have. Um, as far as the smartphone era 
era. Um, I mean, I think everyone's pretty familiar, and, and there's a few that would argue against that having um, some some negative impact mm-hmm. on, especially the iPhone makers. Yeah, the smartphone makers. Yeah, I mean, I a lot of my clients, you know, they've grown up with smartphones in their hands, or you know, since they were teenagers, they've been around it most of their lives, and um, some of them really struggle putting those things down. Like, I have mm-hmm. a client right now who. Um, really struggles to like do anything and take initiative to do anything during his free time other than be on electronics. So, you know, if he's, if he's on his PlayStation, he's Netflix binging, he's on his cell phone constantly and trying to get him to unplug and set some, you know, boundaries around that and, uh, you know, get outside and exercise and, and pursue some other hobbies is pretty challenging, can be pretty challenging. Now I've heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that, that, the the this, the part of the brain that's affected by working or spending time on the iPhone or electronic devices is the same part of the brain that's affected when you take some hallucinogenics or some of the strong narcotics. Is that true? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at really anything that creates pleasure in the brain is going to spike uh, dopamine, um, which is those pleasure receptors in our right. brain. And um, it, when, it, when that becomes uh, outside of what's normative or natural, um, that's where we look at, you know, things becoming more addictive. And, and really anything that's pleasurable can be addictive and create problems that way. So it's getting an individual to be able to just experience life um, without those like more unnatural ways to induce like dopamine is a big problem. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute too, because um, in your bio, a lot of your history is really therapy that's geared towards um, outdoor you know, you worked in wilderness therapy and you've talked a, a bit to me about the benefits of um, therapeutic measures in nature. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's there's a there's a book that came out about a decade ago. It's called Nature Deficit Disorder. And I really like the, the title of that. Um, it's just aren't getting outside <laughs> like they, like we used to, you know, and, yeah. I, and or when so, they get outside, they don't look up from yeah, their phones. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know. Part of the work I like to do, I'm, I like to, I, I practice a little, I try to practice a lot of dialectical behavior therapy in the work I do. A lot of that's based around mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises I like to do to get an individual kind of in that mindful place is to go outside and like focus on five different things that they see in their environment and then focus on there, like what are they seeing? What are they hearing? You know, what are the smells? Just to get into um, their senses and and really connect with like what's happening in the moment for them. Um, being out in the wilderness is a great place to do that, especially if your cell phone doesn't, particularly work. if your cell phone yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. And um, being here in Southern Utah, we don't have to go very far. We have, we're really blessed. We can go out in places and it's nice to be able to unplug. It really is. And, and, and did the kids respond to the, now when you talk about mindfulness, you mean being aware, being in the here and now being present right. and, and not somewhere else, but actually being where you are physically, mentally where you are physically because with with the, with the electronic devices, we can be somewhere else mentally, not where we are physically. But mindfulness is being aware of where you are right now and being connecting with what's going on. So, are you finding that that connects with the kids? Are they able to disconnect from the electronics and connect to the real world very easily? No, <laughs> no. I think it's um, you know, there's some that are, you know, might have that connection to nature and spend time outdoors, and maybe they were raised um, more that way. But a lot of them, it, it's hard to get them off the couch. And out the door, like, hey, let's go on a hike. You know, it's not that dragging them. <laughs> they say, why would I go on a hike when I have a perfectly good couch here to sit on? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather sit here and 
and play my Xbox. Uh So what has driven you to do the kind of therapy that you've done? How have you benefited personally from um, your work? Um, You know, one of the things I learned right in grad school, I remember one of my professors asked the question of like, what do you think your, your purpose or role is in a therapist? And one of the individuals in my class said, to help others feel happy. And he said, no. Hmm. Your job is to help people experience all their emotions, the good ones, the bad ones. Wow. So I think that um, is something that I try to practice in my own life, that, that awareness, um, and really taking into consideration, like, the, there's so many things we can use to um, deflect our feelings and our emotions and numb ourselves. Um, so really trying to be a, aware um, of those things. I think another big factor for me as a therapist has been, um, which I really appreciate, is non-judgment. Um, everyone carries around trauma. Yeah. Everyone carries around things, you know. You look at Robin Williams and Smiling Face and what was going on for him internally, and it's just it, treating people well because you just never know what's going on. That's true. I mean, we're, the, the old saying about until you walk a mile in their shoes, you don't really know what's going on, it was very true. And so how can we judge somebody until we've walked a mile in their shoes? And, and frankly, a lot of people don't want to walk a mile in their shoes because my problems are insignificant compared to theirs, I'm sure. So, Well, and just having that safe um, person that you can voice it to in the way of a therapist or a good personal friend or just that safety zone where you can start to discover um, what those problems are and then just speaking them probably does a lot to help process and, and work through some of the things that people are going through. Um, so like along that line, give us some components of, you know, I mean, there's, there is a lot of mental illness. We all suffer in some way. We're all susceptible to mental illness. You know, some, you some, know, some actually I'm, enjoy their mental illness. I, I'm probably one of those. Don't worry about me suffering with my, I'm not suffering with my, I mean, enjoying it. You would come along for the ride if you want, but I'm enjoying <laughs> mental illness. Well, yeah. I mean, so we all have that day where we feel, you know, every, you know, every day is a different day. We feel ups and downs and things like that. But what are some, I mean, I know it's hard to generalize, but what are some key components for maintaining your mental health? Um, and I know you have to talk from like a, a broad spectrum, sure. but what are some things that we can do? Well, we've talked about some of them. Exercise, I think is one is probably the, you know, number one and it's not expensive No, <laughs> to uh, treat mental illness. It's a, Proven fact, it treats it's a great number one way to treat depression and anxiety. Get outside, exercise, um, food. We talked about that as well. I think one of the biggest things, though, is connectivity and relationships. Like we are wired as humans to connect with other people, and you know, loneliness is a big issue for for a lot of people. Um, we need each other. We need people that we can confide in and and trust and and be able to talk to. And if you don't have someone in your life like that, then hire a therapist. <laughs> so just for a second, I want us to take a, take a step back and say, what happens if you try to repress these feelings or just try to deal with it? What, what are some of the physiological or psychological effects that that can have on your body or in your person? Well, a lot, of, a lot of times that repression often can lead to you know, addiction, too, because there's right. a lot of times Self-medicating. That's, that's the coping mechanism. Um, but it, it bleeds out. It bleeds out. Um, you know, those are un- those repressed emotions and experiences um, and, and to a higher degree like trauma that people experience if it's not dealt with and really bleed out into other relationships. 
it's mm-hmm. manifest yeah. in other ways. And that's what I was, and that's what I was hoping you'd say is that is that it just holding it in. It it's not like, um, it, it's not just going to go away. There will be there will be some um, symptoms that will that will be manifest in one way or another if you just if you just try to repress it and try to man up and and just yeah I'm just going to we can tough it out but it doesn't happen. No, and that's why I mean we're seeing an increase in suicide. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, just reading this morning um, statistics that from age ten to thirty nine, the number the number two leading cause of death is um, suicide, which so. is crazy. I mean, such a preventable thing, but when you're suffering with trauma or suppressed mental health, I, I mean, what do you do? You know, how do you? What do you recommend? Um, I mean, the steps to take. Well, I think. Yeah, the first step is, is uh, really it's important to talk about it. I mean, a, a lot of those individuals a lot of times feel like um, disconnected and lonely. And then talk about like what, once you let it out, is that healing within itself or how do you heal from a trauma that you've now been able to speak about? Well, when we talk about trauma, trauma is actually felt and experienced in our bodies. So a lot of the work on trauma now, and, and it's like we've learned in psychotherapy that um, actually talking about um trauma and bringing up a lot of those emotions and feelings from the past is not actually a very helpful way to deal with trauma, but things that actually, um, like yoga and Tai Chi and exercise can be really actually pretty powerful ways to connect with the body and heal trauma. Oh, so that, that is interesting because for so long, that was the, the thing you go back and revisit and revisit, revisit till it no longer hurts. But the truth is, is that we traumatize. Yeah. You just, you're rehurting yourself. So it's like, it's like picking the scab. Right. If you keep picking the scab, it's never going to heal. So I my, love the component, though, that mental health is so related to an active life, like really just a healthy environment, being food, activity, um, fresh air, you know, those things, how, how big a difference they can make. I think there's a lot of hope in that because it's accessible to all of us if we just put a little bit of work into it. Right. So, so Mike, we are running out of time, and, and you've been a great guest. We appreciate you being here. But just a quick question in a minute or so. What would you say to somebody who's sitting on the couch right now thinking about either being active or or seeking professional help? What would you say to them to maybe motivate them and get them to, to actually get off the couch and do something about it? Well, I th- unfortunately, I think a lot of people reach the point of um, to, to where they can't t- tolerate it any longer. And I think being more preventive, um, on the, you know, being in a place where, you know, you're recognizing um, you're stuck, like things aren't improving. Um, you know, it can start with um, doing some writing, maybe reading some self-help um, just to kind of get s- that process happening. And then, you know, eventually that's where we come in and hopefully can be helpful. I mean, I should also talk about medication. Medications also, some mental illness can be mm-hmm. part of the part of uh, helping alter the brain chemistry so that you can feel better. So what I'm hearing you saying, though, is, is be proactive. I mean, you have to get up and do something. Yeah, to, which can be hard, when, especially when we're looking at depression. Cause well, it really is. You're, miser- you're miserable, but you're comfortable in that misery. So getting <laughs> up and it can be challenging. Yeah. That's where loved ones can come in, too, and, you know, intervene, try to help. Great advice. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. You've been a great guest, and we've learned a lot about mental health and, and the importance of it. A pleasure. Thank you. And we'd like to thank you for joining us, and we would like to remind you to join us each and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life on St. George News Radio, 1450 a.m. You can also listen to this or any of the other past shows at www.seniorgames.net. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life in Google Play Store or on the iTunes and subscribe. And Michelle, 2019 is flying by. We already have over 5,500 athletes signed up to participate. Pickleball and bowling have reached participation caps, but the good news is we still have 30 other sports that are still open. Just go to www.seniorgames.net and click on register or call the office at 1-800-562-1268. It's just that easy, isn't it, Michelle? It is. Let's do it. In fact, you've done it. I've done it. I am going to be in the games for the first time this year because I had that magical birthday. You reached that magical age of 50 so you can participate. I am looking forward to it. Well, and we're glad that you finally got there because we were a little worried about it for a while there. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Is yeah, that what you're yeah, saying? We've been, I've been looking my age for much longer. No, than we've I... just been waiting fifty years for you to reach it. So you know, it's good to have yeah, you there. I'm really happy to be there. And we've added trail running, and uh, that's going to be the sport that I participate in this year. Because you know, we don't have a lot of time to do everything as I would like to. No. but this is good. So, well, and and the nice thing about the running events, whether it be trail running or or the five k or the ten k, is it's just a two or three hour block out of the day. It's not the whole day for us for for right, staffers because we have like twenty hours worth of work to do a day. So yeah, so we're, it's yeah, good. but it's going to be really fun to participate. Well, Michelle, um, that is all the time we have. But I do have a quote for the day: "It's stress, anxiety, and depression are caused when we live to please others." And that's Paulo Coelho that said that, and and I could agree with him more. Great author, great quote. Thanks, Jeff. It's been fun. So until next time, stay active, everyone. Yeah.